Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue our series, Simplify. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always join us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning, community. How are you feeling? You look good. Can I say that? You look good this morning. I I want you to do something with me. I want you to imagine uh, a conflict that you had sometime in the last week. Can you think of it? Close your eyes if that helps you visualize. A conflict sometime in the last week. Maybe, Maybe it was a barista that didn't make your latte to exactly your specifications. Maybe it was a spouse that's avoided to unload the dishwasher the last 17 times in a row. Maybe, if you're like me, has anyone ever sat in the light here at Emerson and Rickert before? Just watch your life pass before your eyes. Like, I've shaved years off of my life, I'm sure, sitting at that light. It's terrible. Okay, so how many of you would say that you, you sort of like jump into conflict? Conflict doesn't scare you at all. Like, you're just, that's fine with you. Yeah, that's, okay, a few of us. How many of you maybe would say that you are more conflict avoidant? Anyone, anyone so conflict avoidant that like even raising your hand is maybe a bit too much to do? Like, like your food could be on fire and you still wouldn't send it back. You're like, it'll be fine. I'll just, it's fine. I'll just leave it alone. I think the vast majority of us, we probably don't love conflict. But here's the thing. It's everywhere. Conflict is in every aspect of our lives all the time. And while conflict itself isn't bad, unresolved conflict can lead to bitterness and unforgiveness. When it's unaddressed, it can begin to do something in our hearts, in our relationships. But this morning, I want to I ask this question specifically. What is bitterness doing to our souls? What is unforgiveness doing at a soul level? As John mentioned, we're in week two of our series, Simplify. Last week, we kicked it off, and uh, we were talking about busyness. How do we unclutter the busyness in our life, which for me... That hit particularly close to home because, well, our house is going to get a whole lot more busy because in November 21st, we are hoping to bring home a healthy, growing baby boy. (laughs) Thank you. She really should be up here. Pray for us. Pray for her mostly, though, because if this kid is anything like me, uh, what is the laughing about? What is that? I hear you. I feel you. (laughs) But today we want to talk about unforgiveness. We want to talk about bitterness. And I want to begin with this statement here. That bitterness diminishes our capacity for connection. Bitterness, unforgiveness, that thing that we white knuckle deep in our gut, deep in our soul, at a base level, at a human level, and then even at a sacred spiritual level, it hinders, it diminishes our capacity for the type of relationships that I believe that God has wired us for. Not just with him, but with each other. Unresolved hurt, unresolved anger, it keeps us from having the types of meaningful relationships that I believe that God has designed us for. I had a a mentor uh, in high school that he would often say uh, this phrase. He said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. That'll preach, right? Unforgiveness, that bitterness, that holding on to that thing that someone else did to you. You you think that we're doing something to them, but what he would remind us week in and week out, man, continuing to do that is like drinking poison, expecting them to die. It's doing something 
to us. Maybe a more lighthearted example. Have you ever, uh, like you're at your kid's game or it's a beautiful sunset or something and you pull out your phone to take a photo and then you see those infamous words like storage full? Anyone ever had that chaos happen? Yeah, we, we've seen you. you, you unravel. We all do, right? And you start to frantically try to like delete something to make space for it and by then the sunset is over, right? Holding on to bitterness, I believe, does something very similar in our hearts, in our souls. Like holding on to it, we're crowding out the space that God intended for intimate relationship with him and with others. So how do we unclutter our souls? Simply put, the practice of forgiveness. The practice of forgiveness. Okay, so now I know what a lot of you just did. Like you heard the word forgiveness and your mind came up with a whole bunch of different definitions. Some of them may be good, some of them maybe not so good. I wanna start by saying this. Forgiveness is not something that we want from you. It's something we want for you. I think often when we talk about forgiveness, it feels like we're giving up territory that we have to give something up. But at its base, forgiveness is when we stop drinking the poison. We want something for you in this. Author uh, Lewis Meads puts it this way. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. And anyone who's ever experienced the life that can be found in forgiveness knows this absolutely to be true. It's hard, it's difficult, it's weighty. But when we can do it by God's grace, we realize that we're the ones who are being set free. So before we dive into what forgiveness is, I wanna briefly talk about what forgiveness is not. First, forgiveness is not forgetting. You ever heard the phrase, forgive and forget? Has anyone else found that incredibly hard to do? Downright impossible? I think, honestly, the myth is that to really forgive someone means you need to, like, men in black, wipe it from your memory. I don't think that's possible, and I don't think it's true. To forgive is not to simply forget, to erase it from our memory. Uh, The second is this, forgiving is not excusing. Forgiveness is not about diminishing what was done. It's not about saying, well, it wasn't really that bad, or they didn't know any better, or whatever excuses that we often give to get to a place of forgiving. Forgiving is not excusing, it's not pretending that there wasn't actual damage done. And lastly, Forgiving is not always reconciling. Now, for a lot of people, particularly maybe if you grew up in a church, this one's a little tough to swallow because we were told that, well, to forgive means that I need to be back in right relationship with this person. And please hear me, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes that's absolutely appropriate. But in other cases, particularly in cases of abuse, reconciliation is not only not the goal, I would argue that it's not even biblical. It's not even healthy. Reconciliation takes two people, but forgiveness takes one. You can can forgive someone and have the wisdom to say, I don't need that person in my life anymore. And at times, I think that's absolutely appropriate. Okay, so in light of that, what forgiveness is not, what is forgiveness? Well, I'm sure it'll come as a shock to you. I think Jesus actually has some good things to say about what forgiveness is. In Matthew 18, Jesus has a little chat with a guy named Peter. And uh, it starts when Peter comes to Jesus and asks him this question. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Sort of baiting the conversation a little bit, right? Like, could seven be the magic number? Please say yes. Now, to understand what's actually going on in this question, we have to kind of unpack a little bit about what it would look like to live in this culture, in this day and age. You have to understand 
Peter in the context of a first century culture. So the fact that, that he's asking at all how many times, regardless of what number he says, it shows that something's already starting to click for Peter. He's, he's beginning to see something in the life and person of Jesus. And for us, like, it's sort of like, a, well, yeah, duh, you gotta forgive, right? Like, that's what we teach children. You got, you got to, we put it on every Christian cartoon imaginable, right? Like, for us, it's really, really obvious, but likely in a first century context, that's not how they would have understood conflict. That's not how they would have understood forgiveness. In the first century, conflicts were sort of viewed on, on a line. A line maybe looks something like this. Uh, hold your applause for this graphic, please. Um, <laughs> take a picture if you need. <laughs> They would understand the relationship as sort of a you and me and me and you. And if you wrong me, I wrong you. And likely even worse so that you don't do it again. That was sort of par for the course for this culture. There's a historian named David Un, and he put it this way. He said, ancient Greek popular morality was pervaded by the assumption that one should help one's friends and harm one's enemies. According to Aristotle, revenge or retaliation is just, noble, and courageous. Retaliation is just, noble, and courageous. Because what's happening here is that your honor is at stake. Someone wrongs you, or worse, wrongs your family. If I don't retaliate, I'll be seen in the community as a coward. That's how this is supposed to go. You hit me, I hit you back harder so you don't do it again. Is anyone familiar with this type of logic, this type of living Retaliation was the noble option. So really, the fact that Peter even knows that he's supposed to forgive is pretty miraculous. He's beginning to sort of see and understand some things that Jesus is calling them to a different way, which is what Jesus often does. He says, I know you've heard this, you've been doing this. I'd like to propose a third option, arguably the way to truly living. Jesus is always doing this, calling people to this sacred imagination. And so Peter is beginning to see this. In fact, I would, I would assert that Peter probably felt pretty good about himself, even offering seven, right? Like, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? I don't know, seven? <laughs> Pats himself on the back, right? He probably felt like that was more than generous. So how does Jesus respond? Verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, to which Peter said, say what? Like that's, mm, no, no thank you. Jesus' response takes forgiveness to a whole other level. Essentially what he's saying is forgiveness has no limit. It has no brim or bottom. That's the way it is in my kingdom. You think seven and you pat yourself on the back and we'll work on you, Peter, but I'm telling you, endless, limitless, and then Jesus, as he often does, he tells a story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Don't you wish we did measurements in bags of gold again? Like, wouldn't that make paying mortgages just a little more fun? Here's two bags of gold. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all they had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before the king. He's undone. He says, be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, 
canceled the debt and let him go. Okay, so um, in layman's terms, the servant owed the king an absurd amount of money, like a bonkers amount of money. Let's just say for fun, a zillion dollars, okay? Because that's about what it would have been. In fact, historians assert that the amount mentioned here would be something like 193 years worth of wages. That's a lot of money. I don't know how much you guys make. Jeez, that's a lot of money. 193,000 years worth of wages is what this servant owed this king. So he's being hyperbolic. He's launching a number out there that is absurd. But the story continues though. After this king, right, forgives his debt, the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Now 100 silver coins is not nothing, but that would be about four months wage. That's a good deal less than 193,000 years worth of wages. He grabbed them and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Sound familiar? He said, be patient with me and I will pay it back. So four months wages, right? That's something, but it's not nearly what was forgiven. He, he just had the debt of a zillion dollars forgiven. And here's how he responds. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Okay, so real talk. Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? You were forgiven a zillion. This guy owes you four months worth. You choke him and throw him and his family into prison. That in contrast is probably easy for us to kind of pick apart, right? I'll be honest. It's easy for me to hear, like stand on a stage and be like, yeah, that guy's clearly in the wrong. But like, don't we sometimes do that? Does, does anyone ever find themselves like screaming at the smallest things, getting worked up, having your blood pressure raised? Like someone, someone cuts in front of you in traffic, like, <laughs> you think it's Armageddon in my car, I'm sorry. Or like someone, you know, lets their dog do their business on your front yard day after day. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Does anyone here ever have something small set you off in a way that surprises maybe even you? Your blood pressure rises, your knuckles begin to wipe. Well, this... This king finds out, and as, as you can guess, he's not too pleased, calls the servant in, says, what do you do? I forgave you, and you're not gonna... And then he throws him into prison until he can pay the debt off, which at that amount will be never. Now, just to be clear, in this story, the king is God, <laughs> and the servant is us. And what Jesus is doing here is so countercultural, as it often is for him, that, that people would have been blown away by this particular analogy because he does something that's not often done when it comes to conflict. Remember, remember the line equation? In the first century culture, culture conflicts were viewed on a line, a line between me and you. If, if you wrong me, I wrong you back. But Jesus says, no, you, you need to view these conflicts as a triangle. You need to bring God into the equation. See, what, what Jesus does here is brilliant. Because he redefines forgiveness by explaining all of us have been forgiven of a debt far bigger than any of us could ever repay on our own. That's the stage that's being set. He's saying, if that's the case, and spoiler, it is, then how are we to behave as a result? God pays the debt that we could never pay through Jesus Christ. God has 
forgiven us, and Jesus makes it clear that we are then to forgive. Maybe we could say it this way this morning. Forgiven people should be forgiving people. Forgiven people should be forgiving people. If we've been made alive in Christ and we could do nothing on our own to save ourselves, to reach God, to find healing and shalom and restoration, if that's the case, forgiven people should be forgiving people. Now, forgiveness is a lot of things. I think forgiveness is removing the control the other person has over you. It's giving up revenge. I think at at the core, it's actually, it's wanting good for that person that wronged you. But this morning, I wanna really land on this reality that forgiveness is canceling a debt. It's canceling a debt. It's not excusing or diminishing it, but it's saying you, you owed me this thing and I'm canceling that debt even and especially if you don't deserve it. That's what radical gospel-centered forgiveness looks like. And I think every time that we see it, I think we see the face of Jesus. Have you ever seen someone forgive something that, like in your mind, they had no business forgiving that person? You saw it and you're like, I don't know that I ever could. That thing that you felt that stirs, when you see that lived out, I think there's something cosmically sacred about that. You see it and you're like, oh man, that looks like life. That looks like fullness. I don't know if you remember, there was a story last April of, um, of an ISIS bombing in a cathedral in Egypt. And there's a TV host in Egypt who interviewed the wife of one of the guards who was killed. And if you've not seen this interview, you've gotta find it. It is, it's chilling, but it is so moving. Her husband's name was Nassem. And during the interview, Nassem's widow said, I'm telling the man who did this, may God forgive you. I am forgiving you. And then she says, believe me, I forgive you. And the host is like clearly caught off guard. He starts to kind of stammer and sputter. And then here's what he says on camera. How great is this forgiveness that you have? Man, when I, when I saw it, I got, I mean, I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps telling it right now. Because I recognize in my own heart, like, I don't know that I'm there yet, to be honest. If you do something to my family, I, I... when you experience it, though, when you see it, there's something, I think, deep in our gut that says, oh, that's the way to really live. There's something different there. So if the goal, if the goal is canceling the debt, you know, some of you may be sitting here this morning thinking, okay, well, that's great. How? How do I actually do that? Well, I, I wanna offer just a couple of practical ideas that I, I hope will be helpful. The first is this, uh, acknowledge the debt. Acknowledge the debt. This, this may seem elementary, but you, you can't cancel a debt you don't recognize. You can't, you can't loosen your grip around something that you don't know has its grip on you. You need to acknowledge it. You need to call it what it is. It was a situation. It was a person in fact, you were handed these cards when you came in. I want you to pull that out right now. And I want you to think about that. If you didn't get a card, you can raise a hand right now and someone will get you one. But who is that person? What is that situation? The person that wronged you, that double-crossed you, stabbed you in the back, abandoned you? And you might be there right now thinking, I, I actually don't know if I, if 
I, if I know someone who's hurt me, think about who you're angry against then. Person, I think anger is just unexpressed pain. Who's someone that you're angry at this morning? The first step is to acknowledge it. Say, that's, that's real. That's really going on. And ask, what does that person owe you? What did, what did they take from you? This card says, you owe me, and it's kind of like the opposite of an I owe you, right? What, what is that thing that they took? Maybe they took your childhood. Maybe they stole your reputation. Maybe they robbed you of actual income. Maybe they shattered your self-worth. Maybe they just broke your heart. What, what is that thing that you feel they owe you? Because debts are real. Don't excuse it. Don't, don't diminish it. Name it. Call it what it is. Maybe they intended to hurt you. Maybe they didn't. The important thing to ask is what was taken from me? We have to start there. The second thing that we need to do is to bring God into the equation. Bring God into the equation. And the truth here is that God already is. He already is. It's often our awareness that lacks. The truth is, in this blind type of living, like we're never gonna find freedom from these things on a retaliatory system. We're not. We're never gonna find the courage to forgive existing on that plane of you hurt me, I hurt you back harder. I think we'll only find the freedom when we refocus our vision and bring God into the equation, to the triangle. Because he's the one who's first forgiven us. Do you know what that means? That, that means that every single one of us, we, we can look into the eyes of even the person we hate and see the one that we love. Because every person is made in the image and likeness of God. And whether or not they wronged you big or small or how long it's been, Knowing that, knowing what we've been forgiven gives us the courage and the power to say, listen, you, you've not done anything to earn this, but neither have I from God. So I'm gonna stop drinking the poison. I'm gonna set myself free because I'm tired of living like a slave. And I would say, ask God to help you. And be honest about it. I think sometimes in church world, like maybe we're not totally honest about yeah, I don't even want to want to forgive them. If that's you this morning, be honest about that. Say, God, I don't even desire to desire it yet. And God's not afraid of that. He already knows your heart better than you do. Just start by saying, God, I, I need help in this regard. And then lastly, we need to cancel the debt. We need to cancel the debt. And we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that this morning. One of my favorite things that we do here at Community is that we celebrate communion every single week. And the reason for that is we want to always, always make everyone very aware that ultimately it's all about Jesus through his life, death, resurrection. That's how we walk in the newness of life. It's not just about like living better principles for a healthier life. And at the table, Bread, his body, the cup, his blood. 
Christ invites us to be made whole again. And when we do this together, in some mysterious way, we meet Jesus together. As a reminder that when there was nothing that I could do to save myself, when I was foolish, rebellious, distant, far, the God of the universe came close and said, there's room at my table. Friends, that is scandalous, but it is nothing short of miraculous. So in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to get out of your row, exit out the right, come forward. There's tables up here and up there. Take a piece of bread, a cup of juice, bring it back to your seat and receive when you are ready. But what I also wanna invite you to do is to take that card, whatever name, whatever thing, and if writing a name was too painful, just a symbol, a picture, a letter. When you come forward to get the elements, we have these stamps on these tables. These stamps that say canceled on them. My invitation for all of us is that as we come forward, as we receive the elements, we don't take the elements, we receive them. That we would bring that card, that we would stamp canceled to whoever that is, whatever that situation that you realize is keeping you a prisoner, is drinking poison and you're done. And it's not acknowledging that the pain isn't real, that it still won't be a struggle, that there's gonna be hurt and sorrow, but we're letting that debt go, not because of how great we are, but because a great God looked at us and said, I forgive you. Not only that, but I call you a son and a daughter. I call you beloved. Come in close. Get in here. There is life and life everlasting. So this is what we're gonna do together. And as you exit out the right and come forward with your card, stamp that card, Take the elements back to your seat, receive when you're ready. We also have a prayer team that's gonna be available in the back because it's my guess this morning that's maybe kicked some stuff up for some of you, maybe pulled back some layers and the prayer team would like nothing more than to just be with you, just to pray with you. You don't have to offer all the details, all the specifics. They're just there to be with you. Please don't leave today without doing business with God. Canceling a debt is hard, it's courageous, and it's the kind of life that God has called us into. Jesus not only taught this, but he lived this out on the cross. Here's what it says he did. So then they came to the place called the skull. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. In those final moments, Jesus is offering grace, mercy, forgiveness. So when we feel like we wanna demand payback, we can remember that we were paid for. Let's pray. I, for one, am so grateful that our forgiveness is not based on our merit or our performance and how good we are at doing certain things, but solely 
and the grace and mercy of you. God, I thank you that the cross frees us up to loosen our white-knuckled grip on holding the things people owe us against them. Give us the courage today to not only receive you in communion, but to cancel that debt by your grace, by your power, by your might. Give us the courage to get up out of our seats, to make a declaration that things change today, not because of our might, not because of our will, but because of your grace and power and mercy. We thank you, God, for loving us with an unthinkable love. Help us to walk more fully in the newness of life that you created us for. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.